0: have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash strange. netsuite.com slash strange. netsuite.com slash strange. I'm Laura Norton, and this is One Strange Thing. The show where we search the nation's news archives for stories that can't quite be explained. It's been nearly a year since we started combing the nation's news archives for, well, you know. And if we've learned anything, it's that certain strange things really do seem to come up again and again. There are so many cryptids, UFOs, mysterious noises, the fun stuff. But there are also shining beacons. That's right. In every region of this patchwork nation, there seem to be reports of mysterious lights. In fact, Try this experiment. Give the phrase mysterious light a search and skim the results. You'll find that the headlines abound. Like this past May, sky gazers in Utah, in California, in Arizona, in Nevada all reported mysterious white strands of light floating around in the evening sky. And sure, Maybe all of those were actually SpaceX satellites, but those breathless accounts speak to a bigger part of our psyches. When something unknown flickers across the sky, we can't look away. Let's go back a little further. Now, we don't usually care for Wikipedia, but it happens to demonstrate this point for us just beautifully. Say you start with a page for, oh, the Paulding Light, which has shimmered in a valley not far from Paulding, Michigan, since at least the 1960s. If you scroll down the page just a little further, you'll realize you've just scratched the surface, because in the See Also section, you'll be led into a shining maze of famous, or perhaps infamous, and unexplained, lights. There's the Gurdon light in Arkansas, said to be the ghostly lantern still waved by a turn-of-the-century railroad worker who met a tragic end. There's the brown mountain lights in North Carolina, the light of Saratoga in Texas, the St. Louis light. Though thousands of miles apart, the sightings of these lights follow a similar pattern. They're found off the beaten path, Far from urban light pollution. And at dusk or in the dead of night, it starts. One ball of light, maybe a few, dancing and flitting around in the dark. Too fast and too big to be stars. Too erratic to be modern aircraft. And then they disappear. Many locals are content to treat them like ready-made light shows Not bad for a first-date activity if you're living far from entertainment. All of these lights have decades of local legends swirling around. And, as always, the skeptics are all but giddy to offer up their debunkings. And the thing is, despite how mysterious we just made this all sound, most of the skeptics' logical explanations are pretty solid. Disappointing, I know. But there's one light we've come across that feels just a little bit different. And so, listeners, it's our pleasure to introduce you to the Spook Light of the Ozarks. According to the city of Joplin, Missouri's official website, the first published mention of the Spook Light hit the press in 1881. We haven't been able to track down a copy of the original article, creatively titled, The Ozark Spooklight. But, by all contemporary accounts, what the writer saw in 1881 is consistent with what people saw in the decades that came after. Even today, in an undeveloped area between southwestern Missouri and northeastern Oklahoma, a mysterious light flits and hovers down the road and over the treetops. It only comes out at night, most often just after dusk and just before sunrise. The city of Joplin's official web post on the matter calls it a ball of fire. Depending on the source, it's sometimes described as yellow, sometimes orange, sometimes blue, sometimes green, sometimes white. It's the size of a baseball, a basketball, or even an arc lamp. Those old school spotlights that were once used on movie sets and in mines. Sometimes there's one light and sometimes there's a cluster of many. And sometimes that light chases onlookers, getting so close that they can feel its blazing heat. As if all this wasn't exciting enough, we're thrilled to tell you that the spook light appears in an area the locals call the Devil's Promenade. According to NPR, it's where the Ozark Mountains meet the flat plains, and it is dense with trees. Rural roads wind down the Devil's Promenade, ones with really boring names like E-50. That's actually the road where the spook light is known to make its appearance. So locals have taken to calling E-50 Spooklight Road instead, and given the history there, it's an accurate description. The first mainstream news coverage of the Spooklight came from the Kansas City Star back in January of 1936. Writer A.B. McDonald interviewed a farmer named Tracy who lived along E-50. He'd bought his property on the Devil's Promenade from a couple who were familiar with the tales of an evil light in the area. Maybe a manifestation of the devil himself. After the back-to-back deaths of this couple's two daughters, deaths which they attributed to the light, they sold the property and left the Ozarks for good. As for Tracy, he seemed less bothered. Instead, he regaled journalist McDonald with stories of cars full of visitors, around 15 to 20 on any given night, and sometimes up to 100. Men and women alike had climbed his windmill to get a better view. McDonald asked him what the light could possibly be. Tracy replied, I haven't got any idea. I've been studying it for four years, and the more I watch it and study it, the more puzzled I am. Nobody knows what it is. That night, McDonald headed out with a group of men and women from nearby Neosho, Missouri. A younger woman hoping to see the spook light for the first time was in the car with McDonald, so excited that she couldn't sit still. She said aloud at one point to no one in particular, oh, I do hope the light will come tonight. I've heard so much about it. At 9 p.m., The caravan stopped outside Tracy's farm. McDonald wrote that the devil's promenade was pitch black and dead silent, only punctuated by anxious whispers and breathing. And then, after about ten minutes of waiting, it happened. McDonald wrote, Suddenly in the dark ahead, a light burst into view, appearing in size and brightness like an electric arc light. McDonald and his companions got out of their cars. The spook light hung in the air for a moment, down E-50 at least 200 yards, and then began to drift toward them. It swayed up, down, to the sides, but always on a clear trajectory. And then, as suddenly as it materialized, it vanished, leaving only the pitch black night. That antsy young woman was elated "'Heavenly day, what an eerie thing! It makes the goose flesh creep all up and down my back!' McDonald, for his part, was not so elated. After looking at a map, he and a local skeptic worked out that there was a hilly stretch of road many miles away that ran in line with E50. In fact, it ran in just such a way that the occasional car's headlights would crest a hill precisely in line with spectators on Spooklight Road. The headlights would be far enough away to appear as one and would travel for long enough that a viewer could watch the light appear to drift along the road before vanishing back into the hills. A very similar account to McDonald's ran in the Kansas City Star in October 1955, nearly 20 years later. This time, it was journalist Howard Turtle who wrote that, the night that he went spooklight hunting, he parked in a well-known viewing spot. His eyes strained to see any hint of light in the darkness. And then, he wrote, something happened down the road. Suddenly, there's a flash ahead. No doubt about it, it's light. Bright brown like a croquet ball. Yellow in color. But wait, there's another not the same kind of light. It's white, ghostly, luminescent, the size of a baseball. Instead of glaring bright, it's faint. Howard Turtle watched as this faint light became brighter and grew to the size and shape of a football. And then he wrote, it came hurtling down the dusty road at what looked like 60 miles an hour. It passed overhead and then it vanished. Howard saw the spook light from several different vantage points that night. But just like McDonald, he spent a good part of his article in efforts to explain what he'd seen. There'd been a civil engineer in Neosho, 30 miles south of the Devil's Promenade, who'd used surveyor equipment to study the light. And as with McDonald's skeptic, the conclusion was that it had to be car headlights in the distance. It was all down to tricks of the mind and the eye. And so, those breathless stories of the spook light vaporizing in cars, scattering sparks and radiating heat? Hysteria, as far as the journalists were able to reason. An especially weird game of visual telephone, if you like. As it turns out, the headlight explanation is a popular one. And not just for our spook lights and the Ozarks. Those other lights that we mentioned at the top of the episode, in Michigan, Arkansas, the Carolinas, St. Louis, all have been explained away with similar reasoning. Headlights from a highway in the distance. Work lights from a nearby mine reflecting off a lake. These debunkings have been issued throughout the past century for most all-famous ghost lights. And, though we take issue with the smug tone in some of them, even we have to admit, they offer some pretty solid lines of reasoning. Or, you know, they would. Except for one strange thing. In the case of the Ozark spooklight, they haven't explained the mystery. The spooklight didn't just show up around the turn of the century, when cars became more common. It is much... Much older, predating cars and maybe even electricity. These sightings have been happening for 150 years, give or take, and for equally as long, people have tried to explain them. In Missouri, the white settler stories of the spook light date back to the late 1800s, and that's hardly the end of the record. The UBI and many other sources note that the Osage and Quapaw nations have stories several generations older than that. According to the City of Joplin's website, one of these historical explanations involves either a Confederate sergeant or an Osage chief, depending on the source, searching for his head by lamplight. Another claims that a young woman from the Quapaw Nation once eloped with a man her family disapproved of. She and her lover leapt off a cliff to avoid capture. The mysterious lights appeared soon after, and some thought them to be the lover's spirits. And another legend says that a local miner's cabin was attacked while he was away. Depending on the source, his wife and children were either dead or missing. And so the miner combs the area still, Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The apparent age of the spook light mythos has been a consistent wrench in the attempts to debunk it. Indeed, take the work of Bob Gibbons. According to the Springfield News Bob was a senior at Drury College in February of 1965 and his presentation at the Senior Student Symposium generated a lot of buzz. You see, Bob had grown up in the area and he was very familiar with the spook light. In theory, at least. He'd never personally seen more than a glimmer. In any case... Drury College announced, even before the symposium, that Bob had all but solved the mystery of the spooklight. In hindsight, we think that maybe they should have tempered that enthusiasm just a bit. As the article in the Springfield News was titled, He has answers on the spooklight, most of them anyway. Bob's presentation included home movie footage and evidence he'd gathered over the course of five years. Some of this evidence was in the form of marvelous anecdotes. People who said they'd seen the spook light set a haystack on fire, or that it had burned the interior of their car. One man had apparently even seen an old woman wandering the Devil's Promenade with the spook light where her head should have been. Bob shared that he'd taken a telescope out to Spooklight Road on several evenings, and through it he'd seen tiny pairs of red and white lights passing in the distance. Thus, he decided, it was merely vehicular traffic passing over 12 miles away on US Highway 66, made extra ghostly because of the reflections off nearby rivers which was all fine and good. But things fell apart for Bob during the public Q&A session. What about the spook light sightings that predated 1903, predated cars, electric lights? What about the light changing colors? What about the dynamic movements of the light, the changes in directions, the occasional sparks? Can tricks of the light, air, and water even do that? Bob's reply to all of these questions may have been Kurt, but he gets an A-plus for honesty, as far as we're concerned. He told them all, I wish you hadn't asked. Steve Boser of the Springfield Newsleader made the excellent call of staying after the talk and Q&A had finished to catch any last nuggets of wisdom. And boy, did he. Quote, after most of the crowd had left, Gibbons, showing some hangers on the lay of the land on a large map pointed to a spot between the observation point and the highway. There's a haunted house right about here, he said soberly, but I didn't want to go into that. We don't know what haunted house Bob was referring to, but are we surprised to hear about it? Not even a little. In Bob's defense though, even the U.S. Army Corps had trouble identifying the source of the spooklight. According to UPI, a parade of federal surveyors, geologists, and soldiers visited just before World War II broke out, and they came to no conclusion. Locals even told UPI decades later that they remembered those soldiers had shot at the spooklight with their rifles. We can only assume that effort was unsuccessful, if for no other reason than the spook light's near-constant presence in the Ozarks has continued, well after it was shot at. And that came even in spite of continuing harassment from locals and growing interest from paranormal enthusiasts. After decades of hundreds of people, night after night, We certainly wouldn't be interested in making repeat performances, but the Spooklight show went on. And now, in the 21st century, the Spooklight lives on. And we know this because the internet brought together another amazing array of stories. A YouTube account called Crazy Mule posted a short documentary on the Spooklight in 2016, with first-hand footage of the light itself. It's a wild watch and we recommend it, but the comment section is somehow even more entertaining. One person commented in 2017, I have family land between Spooklight Road and E40. I've seen it on that property many times. It was closer than this and just as bright. This was from 1980 to recent. Love this light. From another user, last year. I've seen it much closer than this. Its intensity varied and dim little satellite lights appeared around it just as you see here. I was pretty shaken up. There was an unreal quality about it. And one last comment. From January of 2021. I was trying to get a girl I work with at Sonic to go out there and look at it with me. I was hoping she'd say yes. (sighs) she didn't. So I went and saw it myself. Lovesick Sonic employees agree, the spook light is alive and well. So, why hasn't it really been explained? Well, as with so many of the stories we tell, please feel free to settle on a solution that puts your mind at ease. Or maybe you're a true believer in all things lights. But since you're listening to this podcast, we suspect you're something like us. Willing to entertain just about anything, but also happy to remain neither skeptic or true believer. After all, isn't that the fun of it? Being comfortable in the uncertainty. Always willing to chase a little light. We hope you'll join us next time for another real-life story from the fine print of America's local papers. From the lives of regular people, just like you and me, except for one strange thing. Oh, and strangers. One Strange Thing is an entirely independent production. To support the show, and to hear more of the entirely true and enticingly peculiar, join us over on Patreon. There, You'll get ad-free early releases of our regular episodes, full-length bonus episodes, and plenty of other fun content. All for $5 a month. We hope you'll check it out. There's a link in our show notes.